happening, God created the universe and within it a planet called Earth. God's spirit hovered over the dark and empty surface, speaking life into it. Light appeared. Sky and land split from the oceans. Trees and plants grew. Days and nights began. And all kinds of creatures filled the earth. Humans were formed in God's image to continue God's work. Things were really good. But soon, humans decided we want to live our way, not God's. In their struggle for control, selfishness and violence filled the world. So God started over with just Noah and his family. A few generations later, God made this covenant to a man named Abraham. The land around you as far as you can see is now yours. Your family will be as many as the stars and will be my blessing to the entire world. Years passed. Then miraculously, in their old age, Abraham and his wife had their only son, Isaac, just as God promised decades earlier. Later, Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. Then Jacob had twelve sons. The youngest, Joseph, moved the family to Egypt, saving them from a famine. There, they grew into a large nation, a people called to be different, to remind everyone what it looks like to live in God's ways. Well, good morning. If you will open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 verse 10, that's where we're going to start today. If you have one of these blue Bibles, it's page 49. If you don't have a blue Bible in front of you, um, if you grab one from the basket, I think we marked all the non-blue Bibles with post-it notes. So hopefully that will help you find Exodus chapter 3 verse 10 um, or page 49. We're in the series called The Story, and it is learning to understand the Bible as not just a bunch of individual little stories, but one continuous story of God and of people, of how God relates to us and how he's at work in our world. And so we started in the beginning in Genesis, and we spent just one week on creation and Adam and Eve, and then one week, I'm sorry, All right, let's try this again. Another week we did Cain, Abel, Enoch, and Noah in one week. And then um, a week on Abraham and his son Isaac. And then Isaac had a son, Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. The Bible really hones in on two of them, Judah and Joseph. And so last week we talked about Jacob Joseph, Judah, and how they foreshadowed Jesus. And that was too many J's for my brain to wrap around. And so I mixed up their names a few times. I'm, I'm sorry. I think I even like called Jacob Isaac. Yeah. So I'm, I apologize for that. Um, Jacob, Joseph, Judah. Yes. And how they foreshadowed Jesus. I won't do that again to myself. Um, but anyways, all of these people, we could have easily spent like a month studying. Um, there's so much to learn from what the Bible records in their lives. But during this series, we're just kind of zooming out to get the big picture of what God is doing in his relationships with people. And so where we left off last week is with Jacob's family moving to Egypt to escape a famine um, that lasted seven years. And after the famine is over, they don't move back to the promised land God gave them. They stay in Egypt for about 400 years. 
And um, a new king, a new pharaoh comes into power, has no idea who Joseph ever was. And he gets scared because these descendants of Jacob, who God gave Jacob the name Israel, so they're the Israelites, they are just multiplying like bunnies. And, and he gets really afraid of them. And so he begins to oppress them and enslave them and then order that all their baby boys are killed. And scripture says that the Israelites cry out because of their oppression. I think it's interesting because scripture never says if they were crying out to God or not. It just says they were crying out and God heard them. That their cries reached God and he had compassion on them. And so he raises up a savior, Moses. Now Moses is an Israelite born to an Israelite slave woman. And But she tries to rescue her son. She puts him in a little basket. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, adopts him, hires Moses' mom to nurse him. So Moses, probably the first three years or so of his life, he's living with his biological family. And then once he's about three or four, he goes to live in the palace and becomes an Egyptian prince. And I always think, how did his mom... Prepare him for that transition. You know, this is just a little toddler. Right? And how are you to explain to him, you know, like, you're my child. But you're going to go live with them. And like, why? Well, God chose you. You know, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that, but I'm just imagining, right? That she must have had some kind of conversations with this little two to three year old boy about why he was going to go live and become an Egyptian prince. And what we know is that he grows up. He is, in fact, an Egyptian prince. He's got the best education, military training, leadership training, all of that. But he decides to instead identify with his biological family. In their plight. He still knows them. He knows his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam. And instead of enjoying all the luxuries of Egyptian life, he chooses to identify with the plight of his biological family that's enslaved. Hebrews 11, 24 through 25 says this, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as Pharaoh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses, he has this dream of setting his people free, but he has no clue how to do it. None whatsoever. And his his first attempt goes very wrong. He sees an Egyptian slave master beating some Israelites and he kills the guy. He kills the Egyptian. He hides the body in the sand. He thinks this is going to make the Israelites like rally to him. But it doesn't. They reject him as their leader. And it sounds like they even rat him out so that Pharaoh finds out. And now Pharaoh wants to kill him. And so Moses goes running across the desert and escapes to the land of Midian. Like he's 21 and all washed up already. And... um, All of his dreams have come crashing down already. Um, And he gets to Midian, and the first thing he sees is some women being harassed. And once again, he comes to their rescue, and he, he saves them. And I think God just, like, created Moses 
in his DNA to be a protector. Like that was the kind of man God made Moses to be. Um, the problem is he didn't know how to protect out of God's strength. That was a lesson God still needed him to learn. Because some bullies can't be overcome with brute strength. They can only be overcome with God's strength. And that's the lesson God still needed to teach Moses. So Moses, he gets married to one of the women that he rescued. He works for her dad as a shepherd. And one day he sees this bush that's on fire but not burning. Right? So he goes and investigates it. And it's God who begins to talk to him through this bush. And God tells him, I've heard the cries of my people, the Israelites, and I'm coming down and I'm going to rescue them and I'm going to take them out of Egypt back to the land that I promised to give Abraham. And this, this is, of course, what Moses has always dreamed of, right? And Moses is terrified. And that's where we pick up our story today. All right. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, God speaking to Moses through the burning bush. And he says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He, he, he's thinking, I've already failed at this job. Right? I've already failed. And I love the Lord's answer because the Lord says... To him, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses says, who am I? And God says, I will go with you. In other words, it's not about who you are. He never even answers that question. When Moses says, who am I? He, God just doesn't even answer it. He says, it's not about you, it's about me. I'm going with you. So Moses said to God, verse 13, next verse. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to him, to say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what am I to say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating that the name God chooses to have his people call him, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a name where he defines himself by his relationships with people. There is no other God in any other religion that does this. You know, he doesn't say, I'm the God of this universe. Or I'm the God of the sky. Or I'm the God of the underworld and the overworld. Or I'm the God of wisdom. No, he doesn't. That's not his name that he gives. He's like, I'm the God of Sam, Judy, and Barney. That, that's what he says. 
He's the only God who chooses to define himself by his relationships with ordinary people. Last week I said he's the only God who weeps over people. Who is broken hearted over us. And he is also the only God who sacrifices himself to save people. No other God in any other religion does this. So he tells Moses, I'm going to go with you. He tells him, uh, this is what I want you to do. You're going to go back and gather the elders of Israel. Tell them that I've heard their cries. I'm coming to rescue them. Then you're going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Pharaoh's going to say no. But that's okay because I'm going to do all these miracles and then Pharaoh will let you go. All right? That's the game plan. But um, Moses is not convinced. <laughs> Moses has a lot of insecurity. A lot of insecurity. And so he's going to start making every excuse in the book. If you skip over to the beginning of chapter 4. The beginning of chapter 4. Moses begins to talk about his insecurities. Moses answered, I'm at chapter 4, verse 1. Well, what, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? You know, because usually when people claim that God spoke to them, they're crazy, right? So, <laughs> um, this is what Moses is saying. And, um, or at least we think they're crazy, I should say. Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And Moses is like, um, a staff? And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. <laughs> then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. What would you do? Like, seriously, what would you do in this moment? Moses is terrified. Like, he's scared. He just ran from the thing. But he listens. And he reaches out and he took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside the cloak, and then when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, God said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Have you noticed that these are scary signs? Like, really? Okay, so my skin's going to turn to leprosy. That's the sign. Okay. This is scary. You know, when God begins to move powerfully, it is not stuff that makes logical sense to us. It is stuff out of our comfort zone. Then the Lord said to him, next verse, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs... Or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the ground will become blood on the ground. I'm sorry, the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. 
I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother, Aaron? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You will speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if you were, as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. My friends, when God calls you to do something, and I've, I've said this a few times so far in this series. What God said to Abraham when he says, follow me to a land I will show you and I will bless you and make you a blessing. That is a call God extends to all of us. That he wants us to follow him into some situation, some stage of life, some place we won't know exactly what it is ahead of time. He will show us as we go, but he calls us so he can bless us and turn us into a blessing to others. And when he calls you, he will not send you alone. He will not send you alone. Where God calls you, he goes with you. Always. And he will also send others with you. Did you notice that even before any of Moses' excuses, God already had Aaron en route. He said Aaron is already on his way. God will always send you with at least someone else. Jesus, when he sent his disciples on mission, he always paired them up. The early church sent Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas together, pairing people up. God will not send you alone. He will send help. He will also equip you. Where God sends you, he will equip you. And he will use whatever little thing you have. I want you to... Just look back at Exodus chapter 4, verse 11 again. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. That same promise is in the New Testament, by the way. That Jesus says the Holy Spirit will teach us what to do when we are under pressure. And you might think, when God calls you, um, you probably, you probably will think. I shouldn't say you might. You probably will think you're wholly unqualified. Just like Moses did. Um, for Moses, all he had was a staff. A staff. The Lord's like, what do you have in your hand there? Um, a staff? And he's like, okay, let me teach you what I can do with a staff. You know, that God, God will use whatever little thing you have and he will multiply it and just use it for miraculous things. God, when he calls you, he does not call you to failure. He will go with you and he will equip you. He wants you to succeed even more than you do. 
Now, that doesn't mean you won't have setbacks. Moses had setbacks. He had a lot of setbacks. Um, But God uses the setbacks to strengthen us and to strengthen our faith. The setbacks are designed to bring us to our knees. So we have to pray and rely on God's strength, not our strength. Remember, that's the lesson Moses needed to learn, right? To overcome the bully of Pharaoh, he needed to learn how to rely on God's strength and not his strength. And so God gives us setbacks to teach us how to do that. Um, Flip or look at chapter 5, verse 19. It might just be across the page or you might have to flip a page. But chapter 5, verse 19, we're going to read about one of Moses' very first setbacks. So what we're skipping is Moses, then he goes back, he meets up with Aaron. They go gather the elders of the Israelites. They say, God wants to rescue them. you. They show them the signs with the staff. The elders believe. And so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not impressed. <laughs> Pharaoh is like, no, I'm not letting them go. In fact, if they're going to be whiners and asked to go, then I'm just going to make their work harder. And so Pharaoh says, um, tell the Israelites, he's, he's talking to his slave masters, he's like, tell them they still have to make the same amount of bricks every day, but we're not going to give them straw anymore to do it. Now they're going to have to gather their own straw. So the slave masters go out to the Israelite foreman, deliver this message. And the foremen are like, that's impossible. And I think it's very interesting because instead of crying out to God, the Israelite foremen go back to Pharaoh and they ask Pharaoh for help. The very one that's oppressing them. And I think, my goodness, isn't that like us? Like how many times we get stuck in situations, we're totally stressed out, and where do we go to find relief from our stress? A lot of times back to the very same bad habit or bad relationship that got us there in the first place. And that's what the Israelite foremen do. They go back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, No, you're lazy. I'm not giving you straw. And so that's where we're picking up. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 5, verse 19, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron who were waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord judge on, look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You see how quickly south this whole plan went like now it's not only pharaoh who's ticked off the israelites are blaming moses and aaron for trying to get them killed so what does moses do who does moses go to he goes to the lord the very next verse chapter 6 verse 1 oh no i'm sorry where am i verse 5 verse 22 thank you Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble over on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. 
You see his doubt? You see him accusing God of setting him up to fail? Accusing God of not keeping his promise? Some people, um, they think it's a sign of weakness to doubt God. They think it's a sign of a lack of faith when you doubt God. I disagree. I think um, a lack of faith is what the Israelite foreman did. When they just gave up and didn't even go to God. I think people who doubt but still take their problems to God like Moses actually have great faith. I think their doubt is a sign that they've been following God out of their comfort zone into scary territory. You remember the story about Peter who walked on water for a moment. <laughs> the, the disciples were in a boat and it was dark, it was night, and they see this figure walking on the water and they don't know if it's a ghost or Jesus. Like, those are the only two options they can think of. And so Matthew records this. Matthew chapter 14. They're in the boat, and Peter calls out. And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. I always wonder, like, if he really thought it might be a ghost. How do you, a ghost, how do you know that the ghost isn't lying at this point? Like... I don't know, but there must have been something about the way Jesus said, come, that Peter just knew. It was God calling him. So then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. But he saw the wind. He was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And a lot of people think that Jesus is like slamming Peter there when he calls him, you of little faith. But I don't really think it's a slam. I think Jesus is acknowledging that Peter had a little faith. In fact, he had a lot more little faith than the guy still in the boat. And God can do a lot with a person who has a little faith. In Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus says this. Um, he's at, the, the disciples asked him why they couldn't do a miracle. And he says, because you have so little faith. But truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Now, I don't think Jesus is talking about literal mountains. I think he's talking about obstacles. Mountains like Pharaoh, who doesn't want to budge. Those kinds of mountains is what God, Jesus is talking about. And he says, with just a little faith, you can move them. Don't underestimate what God can do through a person who has a little faith. Moses had a whole lot of doubt and just a little faith. 
When God called him, Moses, first of all, was like, I'm not even sure who you are. Like, if people ask me who sent me, what do I say? He doesn't think he knows enough about God. He doesn't think he's qualified. He doesn't think anyone's going to listen to him. He's afraid. He says, I can't talk good. You know, and at the end, he's just like, send somebody else, right? Like, he has a lot of doubt. But just a little faith. And that little bit of faith is all God needs. Here, Moses faces a setback. And he's a lot of doubt. Accusing God of failing him, setting him up to fail, not keeping his promises. But he has just enough faith to cry out to God. And that's all the faith God needed. That's all the faith God needed. Verse 23 Moses says, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. But he has enough faith to at least talk to God about it. And that's all God needs. Next verse, 6 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. What would have happened if Moses had given up at that point? If he said, oh crap, we just made the situation worse. And now the Israelites hate me again. Like they already hated me before. And he just decided to run back to Midian. Don't underestimate what God can do with just a little bit of faith. God used Moses' little bit of faith to set a nation free. I want to talk to you a moment about what God is calling you to do. Because God calls all of us to go on some adventure with him. And sometimes those adventures are really exciting and sometimes they're terrifying. But he calls us all to follow him on an adventure where he will bless us and make us into a blessing for others. So what is that unknown adventure God's calling you to? When God calls you, you'll know it. You know, just like... Moses talking to a burning bush, he knew it was God. Just like Peter in the boat sees some figure and says, come, and he knows it's Jesus. When God calls you, you will know it. But you'll also doubt. You will also feel unqualified. Because God calls us out of our comfort zones. God, when he calls us, he calls us to things that are miraculous, that we can't do in our strength, that only he can do in his strength. So the glory goes to him. And that's always terrifying. It always is. But if we have just enough faith to follow, he's going to do amazing things. So, what is it that God's calling you to? Some of you... God is calling to follow him for the very first time. 
So for the first time to decide, okay, God, I'm going to give you control of my life and I'm going to follow you and try to do things your way and let you bless me and make me into a blessing. Some of you, God is calling to follow him into a situation that's just downright terrifying. It's like to face disease or death or some other kind of scary situation. Know that he does not call you to face that alone. He is with you. And he sends others to go with you. And when God calls you into those scary situations, rely on him, but also rely on those other people that he's sending to you. Some of you, God is calling to serve him. Um... In new ways that you feel wholly unqualified for. Maybe it's a dream and it's an exciting dream, but like nerve-wracking dream. Like starting a new business that honors the Lord. Or maybe it's a, a non-profit or some kind of ministry outside of the walls of this church that God is calling you to. Maybe some of you he's calling to serve him right here in Karen Community Church in a way that you've never served before. I just, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna talk about that for a minute, okay? This church, for it to function, every month fills over 160 volunteer positions. 160. That, that's like, um, to take, clean this facility, take care of our grounds, do the financial and administrative work, um, to, for the discipleship groups, the men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry, um, the worship, the tech, like all of these different things, the hospitality. It's like 160 volunteer positions a month. That's more positions than we have people. <laughs> so um, that means there's a lot of people who are pulling double, triple, and even quadruple duty. And we thank you for that. Thank you for that. That also means that there's other people that God is calling to step up. Um, I want to talk about our children's ministry for a moment. Not because he's calling you all to children's ministry. <laughs> Not because it's the most important ministry in our church. But it is the fastest growing ministry right now. All right, so we're going to talk about that. Half, not half, a third of the population of our church is in the children's ministry every Sunday morning. Um, so that's security people, check-in volunteers, teachers, and helpers that are serving. And um, even though it takes a third of all of the volunteers in our church to to run our kids' ministry, it's like requires way more volunteer work than any other ministry. It's worth it. Our kids are worth it. One of the reasons they're worth it is because Jesus says that whoever welcomes the little ones in my name welcomes me. And so as a church, if we are excellent at welcoming little children and loving and caring for them and teaching them ways of God, that means Jesus promises to be here with us. His presence will be here with us. That is an investment that's worth it. Now, um, I know what some of you are thinking. 
You're like, well, he can't be calling me (laughs) because I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know how to teach kids. You know, this can't possibly be for me. Lord, please send somebody else, right? (laughs) I think we might have heard that already this morning. Um, All right, well, well, first of all, let me just tell you a few things. One is we have curriculum, all right? It tells you exactly what to do and what to say. But second... Teaching kids the Bible is one of the best ways to learn the Bible. It absolutely is. And as you read that curriculum, you're going to be learning as you talk with the kids. Some of those kids will teach you. And that's awesome. And we need to let them teach and let them tell those Bible stories and use the gifts and the knowledge that God has given them. Um, But third, we're going to train you. Just like God doesn't send you alone, we don't send people into ministry alone. So no matter what ministry God is calling you to, we're going to try to find an experienced person to pair you up with. So if it's kids ministry, it's going to be an experienced teacher. And we're also working on training videos that I'm really having fun scripting. Um, But we're going to equip you. Because you're worth investing in. Whatever ministry God is calling you to, you are worth investing in. Because with your little bit of gifts, with just that staff in your hand, and with your little bit of faith and a whole lot of doubt, God can use you to transform generations. So you are worth investing in. And those kids are worth investing in. Because people, little people, who meet God at a young age... And learn his ways. They grow up and make better life decisions than people who don't meet God until way later. And they, these little people, are going to transform their family trees for generations to come. And those little people, and that wing of the building. They're going to transform this church for generations to come. They're going to transform this community for generations to come. So we want to be investing in them. Again, I don't know if God's calling you to serve in kids' ministry or not. Um, But I know he's calling several people because he's sending us more kids. And he wouldn't send us more kids unless he's going to raise up more people. So there's three groups of people I want to talk to for a moment, all right? The first is our current volunteers. There's some of you that are back there almost every single Sunday. And I just want to thank you for your consistency and your faithfulness. And let you know you're making a difference. I also want to tell you that it is our desire that You're serving back there no more than twice a month because we also want you in here where you can be fed and filled up. All right? Because you are valuable too. We don't just use people in this church. Amen? Amen. Second group I want to talk to is our men. Our kids need godly role models of men. Some of our kids have dads, some of them don't. Some of them have no idea what a healthy marriage looks like. And you can do wonders by serving alongside your wife in the kids' ministry. And just letting kids see 
how husbands and wives talk to one another, how they work together, how they respect one another. You can give them a whole different picture for their future of what their marriage could look like by serving in our kids' ministry. They need examples of not perfect men. Not perfect, because there are none. But godly, respectable, faithful men. And you don't even have to teach. You can just get scissors when the teacher asks you to get scissors. (laughs) But your presence in that classroom is inexpressibly valuable. Lastly, I want to speak to our youth, our teens. We have many that volunteer down there. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Um, For making that investment. I also want to say... um, whether it's kids ministry or something else that God is calling you to, teens, you do not have to wait till you're an adult to lead. God has given you gifts and knowledge now. You're going to need a mentor, somebody to be paired up with, but please don't think you have to wait until you're an adult to lead or teach. God calls young people to leadership too. All right, I spoke a lot about kids' ministry, but um, I just want you to know wherever God is leading you, He is with you. And He is sending others with you. You are not alone. God is with you. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wherever God is sending you, He will equip you. And wherever God is sending you, he is setting you up to succeed. He is setting you up to succeed. I just want to leave you with what God said to Moses one more time, which is really what God says to all of us. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. Now go. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. He's going to teach you what to do, too. Guys, this is good news. We have a God who doesn't abandon us. He does not abandon us to the messes we see in this world. He wants to lead us to a good place where he will bless us internally, give us peace and and joy, where he will provide for us. But he will also give us purpose. That's one of the great promises God makes. Is that he gives us purpose. He makes us into a blessing for other people. And even though the road seems daunting. He goes with us. He sends others with us. And he uses all of our doubt. And our little bitty bit of faith. To do amazing things. He's a good God. He's a good God. Let's pray and thank him. Heavenly Father, oh man, I thank you that we don't have to be well qualified for you to use us. I thank you that even though we can be filled with doubt or fear or even our own wrong ideas of how things can go, 
if we're just willing to talk with you and stay in the conversation with you, you can use that little bit of faith to do amazing things. God, I pray that you would increase our little bit of faith. God, I pray that you would help us dream your dreams. Some of us had the dreams when we were younger and the road got tough and we have given up on them. God, give us courage once more to hear your voice calling us to continue in that dream. To believe that you will be true, that you will keep your promise. Lord, give us courage to take that next little bit of little bitty step, whatever it is, and not worry what is to come, but just follow you onto that next step. God, I pray for those that feel alone right now, that you will open their eyes to see who you are sending to walk alongside them. And I pray you'll give us all spiritual sight to hear your voice and to see where you are at work so we can join you. Thank you, God, for not only blessing us, but for giving us purpose. For giving us purpose that we can live to be a blessing to others as well. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.